All right, and welcome to Pints and Politics. We explore all things political with a focus on life in Peterborough, in Ontario, eh, sometimes in Canada, but rarely on the international scene. However, tonight is one of those nights, as we will be debriefing November 3rd's, yesterday's U.S. presidential election. Now, since March, we've been gathering together online for these discussions. The discussion to which you're about to listen was recorded on Wednesday, November 4th at 8 p.m. as results keep rolling in. So we're going with a a drop-in format tonight as our discussion will be punctuated by news updates from our panelists uh, on the emerging vote count results. Joining me for this discussion tonight are businesswoman and property manager Jenny Lancio, Curve Lake First Nations Councillor and Ontario NDP Indigenous Peoples Committee Chair Sean Conway, writer and math teacher Tim Etherington, and Peterborough This Week journalist and former mayor of Peterborough, Sylvia Sutherland. All right, so thanks to everyone for joining me this evening. Let's get uh, right to the main course here. So my first question, um, it is a two-part question, and you can take it in whatever direction you feel is the most urgent for you. What happened last night, and what is going to happen between now and January 20th, the so-called lame duck period between the election and the inauguration? So what happened last night, and what's going to happen? Can we uh, maybe not call it the lame duck, but the uh, the beach sturgeon two months? <laughs> All right, we will we will have beach sturgeon. <laughs> uh, well, okay, what what happened last night um, was a bit of a mess. Uh, but it, it, first of all, what happened last night was putting a lot of polling organizations. Yes, I'm sorry, and it's Sylvia. I should have introduced myself. Okay, it was, you know, we tend to believe what we want to believe. And I must say, I've gone through about a month. I understand better how what it is like to be manic depressive. <laughs> absolutely true, because within the course of a, an hour over the last uh, few weeks, I would go from thinking that Biden is going to sweep it to, my God, Trump is going to win again. Right. And and uh, it fell somewhere in the middle, of course. I think we're going to end up by, by January 20th with a president biden uh with a uh, uh but without a democratic senate although it may end the senate may yet end up in a tie with the vice president holding the uh with vice president harris holding the uh the the uh the final vote um but i got my first clue yesterday as to what might happen last night from the exit polls the polls are singularly unreliable, etc. But what each one of them seemed to be saying was the people's first concern was the economy. And that was probably the first indication that Trump was going to run better and hoped he was going to run. And what happened last night, too, is a revelation, if we didn't already know it, of a terribly divided nation. I'll leave it at that for now. Sure. Well, that, that economic argument, and I know there's many layers to it, we may get into it, yeah. but there's one nuance that, that I came across today that hadn't occurred to me before, and that the economic argument was also part of a COVID argument, and that Trump had really seized the position of we can't lock down, we can't shut our, shut our businesses. And, you know, certain analysts point out that that might have been one of the reasons he did so well in some of the Latin American communities. Uh, which has a high proportion of small business owners. So, you know, the economy means a lot of different things to a lot of people. And there's all right. always been that advantage Trump has that he, he played a successful businessman on TV. And a lot of, you know, low information Americans believe what they see on TV. They think it's real. They thought he was a real businessman. Sure, Sean. Yeah, Sean here. I think I think a couple of things really stand out. And, 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 and both Tim and Sylvia have, have mentioned it. And I want to zero in on it. The... Pollsters had four years to fix what happened in 2016 
and they missed it again. Um, right, right. And I think, you know, a lot of voices on the left, you know, have been talking about how close it could be because we see in, in our organizing and, uh, you know, watching some of the, the different arms of the, of different progressive campaigns in the United States and Canada that really focusing in on, on those bread and butter, small biz, economic issues and, and, you know, economic issues is such a misnomer really when it comes to electoral politics. It encompasses so many different things. It encompasses childcare. It encompasses stimulus checks, which the House, Senate and the president failed to get out in the last couple of, couple of weeks. So it makes that, that economic argument that, that Trump's strong on the economy all the more palpable to translate into votes in places where we thought Maybe Biden could flip Florida. Maybe he could flip uh, Texas. Maybe he can uh, uh, flip some of those some of those places. So I think I think those are the two big takeaways for me. Is that I don't know if I'm ever going to trust another poll, <laughs> and I don't know that I'm ever going to let my guard down when it comes to my gut instincts on economic issues and kitchen table issues for regular people. Others, well, what I happened? What's going to happen? On that, on the issue of the economy, it, it really is depends on where it was. You know, Biden has been able to recapture. We don't know at the time of this recording whether he's going to win. He seems to be on track for it. He's done very well to reclaim a lot of traditional Democratic support in the Midwest. And that had a lot to do with kitchen table bread and butter issues. You know, Biden, if he becomes president, will be the most labor friendly president that the United States has ever had. And wow. he had a very robust infrastructure plan. But the other side of the economic argument is kind of this, you know, populist twaddle, right? But it's all about grievance, right? And anger. And so Trump is very good at that. Doug Ford is very good at that. They don't actually do anything to improve people's lives, but they're very good at making people, you know, riled up and say, I'm the only person who can handle you. So Again, the economic question is not a very simple thing. It, it, right. As Sean said, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Sean. Yeah, absolutely. I want to I want to dive in there too. And and you know, looking at the industrial Midwest and and the 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 quote unquote blue wall uh, around the Great Lakes, Michigan was delivered by an historic number of Muslim voters. That's how they won Michigan. They were oh. able to find new voters. In mm-hmm. the urban centers, if you look at the breakdown of even Wisconsin, it's dots of blue in a sea of red. Um, you know, urban rural campaigning is a, is a really interesting thing. And, um, you know, particularly in the Peterborough area, we see it where generally the, the progressive vote is going to land in the city of Peterborough and speckle around in Lakefield. It's going to speckle around in Havelock. It's going to speckle around in Curve Lake. But how do you break into the county votes? But the county votes don't necessarily mean anything if you can get new voters into those those urban centers. The way that it's set up with the Electoral College and the way that those counties report, you know, Wisconsin, Michigan, if you can find new voters, black voters, uh, Latino voters, people who are disenfranchised by the system and can and sign them up to vote. That's that's really how we were able to take that back. It wasn't people going back to the Democrats. You know, we've got an increase of voter turnout, so it's new voters all across. Young voters, too, apparently. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Jen. This is Jen. I think the other thing that happened just on a very, like, simplistic level was that we were bamboozled by the media. For however <laughs> long, you know, the media has been telling yeah. us that Biden's got it in the bag, you know, if you vote for Trump, you're an idiot. Why would anybody reelect this joker? On and on and on. And then I think when the results started coming in, people like have been shocked at what the results are. Because for however long we've been being told that, you know, there's no way Trump's going to be reelected. And here we are. Yep. Depends, Sylvia. Depends, Sylvia here. It depends what media you're listening to. Well, this is just it, right? Like, here in Canada, that's all we've heard. No, but if you were living in the States and you were watching Fox News, you would have entirely different views. Right. Also, I think the media, in fairness to the media, and it's easy to slap at the media always, but in fairness to the media, they were bamboozled by the polls. 
it really goes back to the polls. And I think the media tried harder because they recognize uh, media, certainly CNN, MSNBC is a Democratic, uh, you know, news channel anyway. That's why I like it. But <laughs> they recognize the, what they had done wrong. And, and not only them, the last time out was Trump all this free airtime. You know, anytime he wanted to call in, they put him on. And he was, you know, it was different here. It was Donald Trump the great quote-unquote business, etc. And they, they determined not to do that this time. And there were speeches he gave they didn't cover. They did try to, to be more balanced. But the, they, too, were reading the polls. And, you know, it. I don't know. I don't know how you poll in this day and age. I don't, you know, I don't understand how the polling people can sort out whatever difficulty they clearly are having in getting an accurate, you know, a near accurate uh, reading of of where where the country is at, and that probably applies here too. Can I push back a bit on the polls? Like, sure. sure. Because I think this is a little bit last night, this morning take on it. Polls, the polls did miss, but they actually didn't miss that much. You know, they showed North Carolina basically a toss-up. Yeah. They showed uh, Georgia a toss-up. They showed Trump slightly ahead in Texas and in Ohio. All those poll results were true. There were very mixed polling from Florida, but no one should believe polling from Florida. Um, and they probably are going to end up being a couple points short in the Midwest, but the polls really didn't miss like they did last time. Yeah, they weren't no, Tim, not quite as badly, but they gave that blue wall, you know, across the, across the top. You know, yep. there you had Biden running pretty well ahead comfortably. In, Except uh, Pennsylvania. In, 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 yeah, hmm? there, were, there, were, there were very mixed signals about Pennsylvania. They basically said Michigan was going to be easy and Wisconsin a bit closer. And, and yeah, Pennsylvania. And I'm not trying to say the polls are perfect. That easy, but. What, what I would like to point out, though, is that, you know, and I'm always talking about polls because there were polls that overestimated for Trump. There were the Rasmussen polls, the Trafalgar polls, yeah. and all the others, right? Yeah. Um, but it did create expectations because we wanted so badly. We wanted that repudiation of Trump. We wanted him to be humiliated. We wanted over last night. It didn't happen. So that led, it's a bit like the midterms. We got very disappointed if we were of that ilk on the night of. And then as the next day came, we started realizing the news actually was pretty good. I I think North Carolina stands out as the biggest disappointment because they didn't get a Senate seat there either. But just on the numbers, you never follow a single poll, but the modeling people, the 538 and the um, and, and, and the economists, you know, what they do is they just look at all the data. They punch it into a model and say, what are the odds that someone's going to win? And the economists said 95 percent Biden and uh, 538 said 90%. It looks like Biden's going to win. So they're right. Yeah. Well, yeah, Trump. It, yeah. We, we tend to we tend to, uh, you know, I think it was Mark Twain who said optimism is a misreading of the facts. Sean, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. You know, I think going back to polling and, and uh, uh, Tim touched on a little bit, some of the some of the big takeaways from from last night and through today uh, and probably for the next three to four months is going to be where the Senate ends up. You know, I think yeah, right. the, the media narrative was that the Dems were going to take five or six Senate seats, knock off some Republicans there. They were going to have, you know, they might have a squeaker into the White House, but, you know, they're going to have no trouble with the Senate, no trouble with the House when it was it's gone the opposite way for, for the Democrats. They lost a lot of seats in the House. You know, all of our, all of our favorites, uh, got back in. Some new faces are in, uh, really interesting states, state races as well. But I think the, the big problem for, for the Biden team and for the Democrats is in the inability to, to pull the Senate. And, and that's going to make things like stimulus, like, um, you know, big economic projects, you know, $15 an hour minimum wage, you know, all those, those planks in the, in the Biden platform, he's not going to be able to deliver on them without the Senate. So we look at the two Georgia Senate seats, which are likely to go to runoff. If Purdue dips under 50%, I believe he's at 50.3. There's still, there's still some wiggle room in that race. The Warnoff race in the other Senate seat in Georgia is going to run off. So, those two Georgia seats, if the Dems can pull those off and run off, we might be okay at come inauguration time. But, but really it's, it's, it was a great victory for the Republicans to hold and, and retake some seats in the Senate. There was some shuffling around, but, but really it was not a good day in the Senate for the Democrats. And it's going to make 
the the next two years very difficult for Biden. Now, if, if I could just so just a second, if I could interject while we before we leave polling, I read that uh, one of the errors in 2016 was the pollsters did not cotton on to the fact that college educated voters are more likely to complete a poll than non-college people. So the non-college people have a tendency to not answer these polls. And I thought, my God, that, that, that's such a glaring error. I mean, you can miss a lot. Yeah, but that, no, Does anyone know more about that? It was addressed. The thing that was missed, and I think everyone missed it, is the turnout in this election was massive. You know, Donald Trump is going to win more votes than any presidential candidate before him. And Biden's going to win more. I mean, that's guaranteed. And Biden's probably going to win at least five or six million more votes. And he's actually going to line up pretty close to the average, number, by the way, uh, when that's okay. done. But the, um, yeah, yeah, the thing, I was going to say the thing they missed on the Democratic side were how many young people were going to vote for the first time. And that's, you know, both these these campaigns were turnout machines. What Trump was able to do, and he did before and he did even more now, are people who don't vote. You know, people who have no record of voting. But you know, there's a sort of identity that that started that emerged as to be a Trump fan was to it was almost like a punk thing, right? Like this is who I am, and best you know, give a finger to everybody. And so a whole lot of people came to vote for Trump who had never voted before, and that's a real challenge to capture in any kind of political polling because there's no there's no, yeah. there's no and doubt. Can right? I just go back to the Senate for a minute? Uh, I, I because I subscribe to the Boston Globe. I have I had access to a debate in Maine between Susan Collins and Sarah Gideon. And Gideon is the Democrat, is the speaker, I think, of the Maine legislature, and has suspended the Maine legislature uh, from March till now. And the accusation in Maine was, which never got national, really, that she did that so she'd have time to canvass. I watched that debate, and Collins was supposed to go down. Everyone was predicting this was Susan Collins's last stand. She's been there, I think it's her fifth term. Except the poll she came that debate, there was no question. I mean, I would have voted for Susan Collins. <laughs> and and she was so much more appealing than was her opponent. And we seem I guess what I'm trying to say here is the local context you sometimes miss. And and I have to admit, Collins has received and, you know, is a pretty liberal Republican. I had that reputation. And, and she may probably work well with Biden because uh, she is pretty centrist and and she made some mistakes and she wasn't consistent in the in the in the last uh, in the last uh, uh, the last uh, Senate and got a lot of criticism. But when you watched it, if you were local there, mm-hmm. God. Gideon just was not appealing. Right. Yeah. That might, might explain it because actually Collins, the, the polls caught uh, Collins' uh, movement. Most most insiders were saying that it looked like Collins was safe in the last week. I thought it was that. It was also, I think she got a lot of political cover from the, the, the Coney Barrett uh, Senate vote. Yeah, she, she did. voted against Conan yeah. Barrett, Coney Barrett, so that, gave, that kept up her bona fides yeah. as a reasonable moderate. Was but there was also, moment. Tim, there, there was also the human quality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, unless you, saw, you know, yeah. that we don't know about unless you yeah. watch something like that. Yeah. Anyway. Sure. Yes, we're getting deep into the American weeds. <laughs> do we? yeah. well, we'll have to do that. Do justice to uh, Ontario and Canada when we uh, get get in our next election. No. So we've talked a bit about what happened. What's going to happen? Because th- this movie is not over by any stretch. Yeah, Sean. Um, Joe Biden will be the president of the United States. I think that's, I, there are more paths for, for Joe Biden to 270 than there are for Donald Trump. I think that the Senate will remain GOP. Right. Even in the advent of the runoffs, I think we're going to have a long, hard two year slug to the midterms where hopefully Democrats learn something 
and Joe Biden signed some interesting executive orders. There's little that he can do without the Senate. There are some, you know, culture based, you know, issues and, and values, things he can do, um, like the, 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 you know, get back to the Paris Accord. Uh, I think there, there might be a possibility to push for stimulus. And I, I think that's really important. If, if Biden can make the GOP Senate have egg on its face when it comes to stimulus and direct stimulus to the American people and also outreach to small business, that's going to help swing the midterms in two years. Unfortunately, I believe the timing of it and the length from now until the midterms will probably not allow some sort of massive government spending on stimulus to really translate into votes in two, three years. So it's got to be an ongoing push uh, to respond to the pandemic. Now, Sean, you mentioned you hope the Democrats learn something. What Could you flesh that out? What What are their learnings? I think it's to not underestimate the GOP, Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the singular most popular character in the Republican Party. Um, to get away from the grift of the, uh, the Republicans for Joe. It's a grift. It's a scam. It's not real. The Lincoln Project was a $67 million mistake. Donald Trump won more Republican votes this time, 93% of the vote, as opposed to Hillary Clinton, who was, you know, like there was 90% of these guys. It's a grift. I don't, it, it didn't work. And I think that uh, outreach with uh, with uh, Latino voters in the South was a big mistake, and they they really they, they really messed it up. And uh, it's a it's a big tent the Democratic Party, and it can't be. But everyone has to have a seat in the table, and and they they really missed out there. Sean, Sean, it's ah. you know you have to recognize that you're talking about a campaign that's probably going to win. So and beating an incumbent president is, is a big deal. Even if it is Donald Trump. So, you know, it is true about that. I think you got to give the Trump campaign a lot of credit for their Latin outreach. It was very targeted in, in a couple specific places. It delivered Florida to them. Six they weeks before. They, well, no, and they've been, they've been working on this a long time on the ground. This has been a long term. No, strategy. that's what I'm saying. They, they beat the uh, Biden campaign by six weeks in Florida and uh, Texas, um, getting the Spanish language ads out. But again, I know that there's been a lot of discourse around today because everyone was stressed about, oh, the the, the Democrats effed up. Biden, Biden's been really consistent. He focused on Pennsylvania, Michigan, and, uh, and and Wisconsin, and put a lot of resources into Arizona too. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's valid, Tim. But I'm I want to look at the big picture. I want to look at the Senate, and I want to look at the House. Yeah. But I'm talking about. Biden's campaign. Biden was very focused on winning the campaign. He had, a, he had a very clear objective. Looks like it was successful. I agree. The Democratic Party, particularly the Senate committee, is a mess. They keep losing Senate seats, right? But I don't know. Like, I don't think we should conflate that necessarily with the Biden campaign. His job was to beat Donald Trump. He may have done that. Looking at, Sylvia again, looking at the even bigger picture, perhaps, I think both the parties, both the Democrats and the Republicans, have to sit down seriously and take a look at who they are. Uh, the, the, I don't believe the Republican Party. Donald Trump is not really a Republican. He is Donald Trump. And he's conned <laughs> them all. <laughs> and, and there's a singular lack of backbone in the Senate, particularly in the last, uh, in the last round. But the Republican Party has to take, I think, seriously take a look at who they are, what they represent. And to a lesser but somewhat lesser degree, the Democrats as well. I think there's a time to sit down and do some self-reflection. Like the fact, and also, well, it goes deeper than that even. The fact that nearly 50% of the citizens who bothered to vote in the United, and there were a lot who bothered to vote this time, high turn out, of the United States of America could sort, could support someone as unpalatable as Donald Trump as a human being gives, I think, real concern. Mm. But I, I really do think the parties have to take a look at what they are, what they represent, and a serious look, both parties, a vote. You know, look at Arizona, 
Arizona may well have gotten more Democratic votes than it would have otherwise because of John McCain and because of, of Trump's comments about John McCain. Yes. Cindy McCain came out in favor yeah. of Biden. So, you, you know, there, there are all these sort of small puzzle pieces that don't always fit together, but can certainly influence. And I'm sorry, Jenny, I think I cut you off. That's okay. Go ahead. I just think, you know, for me personally, what is so disheartening about this entire election, it's not, it's the outcome of the popular vote. Like 60 million Americans have voted for Trump. That's like, you know, 60 million people who've never been challenged because of their race or challenged because of their sexual orientation or had to defend their reproductive rights. And I'm nervous that because 60 million people have never faced these issues on their own, it's kind of like a big F you to anybody who has had to face them. I don't like nobody's sticking up for anybody else in the U.S. It's this every man for himself mentality and the economy's good and I've got money in my wallet and therefore I don't have to worry about any of these other social issues that are going on in the States. It's, you know, it's frightening to me. Mm. And if we think that stuff isn't going to come to Canada, I think that we are mistaken. The majority of these people that are rampant Trump supporters and very vocal about it are also flying their Christian flag and, like, I don't know, I was raised in the church too, but I'm not seeing a lot of love thy neighbor going on there. I wouldn't think, Jenny, that it is, in, it is in Canada. It is in Canada. We've seen it, we've seen it in yeah. Ontario in federal politics. We're seeing it, Aaron O'Toole, who has a, you know, his tradition as a politician is a relatively moderate guy, has adopted this fire-breathing take-back Canada, you know, uh, trope. Uh, uh, Doug Ford did the same thing. I go back to Mike Harris. It was all based on grievance and welfare people ripping you off. It, it, it's it's a very blunt instrument and unfortunately a very effective one to whip up the mob with with a sense of their personal injury and pointing your finger at the opponent and saying, this is the person that caused it and I'm going to punch him in the face for you. I mean, the thing about Trump is he happens to be a particularly charismatic uh, salesman who, with without any shame, so when a psychopath with his media skills Takes so take uh, adopts that they can be very dangerous. I mean, what would happen if Doug Ford wasn't a buffoon on TV? How powerful would it be? Uh, one more thing, frankly, Tim, and I know what it feels. Uh, uh, Trump's charisma escapes me, but the uh, the other thing that I find, and I was talking to my son about this on the weekend, is the fact I find very very disturbing is the fact that the states and us here too to, to a lesser degree but it's happening somehow or another it doesn't matter if you lie anymore yeah. you know if you lie in the same sentence anymore right this is any censorious attitude people seem to 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 say well we'll just ignore that you know and it does matter if you're if your leaders are lying to you and george was explaining to me apparently that my son there is a, uh, a a recent book out by, or maybe it's not that recent, by Adam Gopnik, in which he says, among other things, that we find it easier to accept the lie than to than to fight against the lie. But if we reach the stage in our political life, in our in our in our in our life as as a country, that we don't care if our politicians lie to us. Uh, that I find, uh, I, I don't know where we go from there. And it's not no. only in the States we can say, I mean, there's always been a degree of dissemination. And, right. uh, and, but, but not, and usually when you're caught out, you're embarrassed. Right. Uh, now, it doesn't seem to matter anymore. Right. Could I just, I'm curious what, what, what the four of you say about this. Now, I'm looking at, right now, I'm looking at the New York Times screen, presidential election results, and the the count is still, by the way, 253 uh, electoric college votes to two for, uh, for Biden to 214 for Trump. But I'm looking down at the popular vote. Uh, Biden has 71,673,000 and change. Popular votes, 71,600,000 and change. Donald Trump has 
124,000 and change popular votes. So my, my, my question is, and we, we've touched it already, but I'm just puzzled. Like, how are these people 68, over 68 million voting for Donald Trump? Like, what is their thinking process? That's that. Yeah. I, they, they don't care if he lies. Like, it doesn't affect them personally. The economy is good. They've got money in their wallet. They can, you know, afford to take their family out for dinner and life is good. And they're, they don't care about what the big picture looks like or people that are, you know, that are getting stepped on because of their race or their religion or their sexuality or anything like their socioeconomic bracket. They just, they honestly do not care. I have friends that live in the States that vote for Trump. I've asked them, like, how the guy's an idiot. How could you vote for him? Oh, no, I think it's just great. Like, I've never been in a better financial situation. And every time somebody gives me an answer, it comes down to money. Bottom line. It does. But although the bulk of his, you're right about that, Jen, but the bulk of his supporters aren't, aren't people with money. There aren't people who really benefit from his economy. But I, I, I think it's it, it has more to do with it. It's fun. But it's fun, but it also is kind of that mentality. Like, I get they don't have money in the tax bracket that maybe he is in. But it is the mentality of, I work hard for every dime I make, and why should anybody else be given anything that I'm not being given, and nobody's ever given me a handout, so screw you and anybody else that might need help. It's that type of mentality that supports him. You know, it's like, it, it's like, it's like you get home with, you take out, you know, you get home from a, some affair and you get to take off your, your tie or whatever, your formal clothes and get to relax and go, oh my gosh, you know, I've been so trying to be on my best behavior. Trump gives a lot of people permission to be totally. open about their, 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 their racist, misogynist, homophobic animus. Like, he makes it cool. He makes you feel like you're part of a group doing that. And well, 16, 68 million people. I want to push back against this a little bit. Sure. Um, because I don't think we can reduce 68 million people as racist, misogynist, homophobes. I don't think we can do it. You know, I don't think that that's, I think that's a part of it. And it's probably a large portion of those who support Donald Trump. But it's not all of those people. Again, it comes down to class issues. Where has Joe Biden been for 40 years? You know, where has Nancy Pelosi been for 40 years? You know, that as, as a, you know, career politicians, that's a great angle for the Trump campaign to go after these guys. And really, I think, you know, middle class and lower income voters are going to resonate with the Trump message more than the Biden message because the Biden message was nothing's fundamentally going to change. How is he going to make anyone's lives better? You know, going back to those economic issues. And and things like that. I don't think we can reduce 68 million people into just, you know, they're a pile of racists. Because, we, again, we see that. You can never really do that with any group. But I think remember that, doing that terrible either. expression, and it cost her a lot, I think, of Hillary Clinton's last time. Oh, the deplorables. Vasco deplorables. Well, in that basket of deplorables, were people who really didn't think they, feel they had a voice or anyone else. Mm. That Donald Trump gave them a voice. Now, we may not like what that voice says, but Trump, and he said, I'm gonna, I'll speak for you. Yeah. And, and he did. And you can never re- reduce any one group into any no. group of voters into one singular, you know, uh, one singular thing. But, but I think, Initially, and, and also in this election, there were people who really felt their voice was really through Donald Trump. No one else, not Joe Bride, Biden, even though he grew up in a working class family in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, he wasn't really going to speak for them. But by golly, Trump has spoken for them with all that nastiness and the toughness and the, you know. But I, I think that is part of, a big part of Trump's appeal. Unfortunately, Hillary used the phrase she did. Yeah, now, I, I remember from 2016, 2016, there was a finding that actually the bottom quintile of economic uh, stature voters 
did not support Trump. They they supported Hillary. And it has nothing to do with economic so, status. It has to do with uh, it, not so much economic status as social status, yeah. if you will. And and not can, I, can I say something? Because I, I, I did not sure. mean to say that every single Trump supporter was racist, homophobic. But you're trying to understand the Trump phenomenon. We have to ask some very hard questions about this. These are all not noble people who are just looking for some guidance in life. There's some really ugly segments to our society, certainly Canada included. We're not immune from this. But never has a politician so blatantly and brazenly given people permission to exercise that in the public sphere. But I say that as one aspect of of the millions of of his appeal to millions of people. I'm not saying everyone has supported Trump. There's a lot of reasons various people support anybody. Um, So I'm not saying that at all. But we do recognize the con at work here because we're and and everyone's right when they say that, you know, downtrodden people felt like Trump was spoke for them. But of course he didn't. We know he didn't. We know he had nothing but disdain for his own supporters. Um, So this is the real issue that we're facing is that there's a whole lot of artifice and it's, it's becoming more and more in our politics right now, where to people who are invested in this and have critical thinking skills, we can see right through the BS and we just know this is an act. And but that it sometimes prevents us from be, from equipping ourselves with a proper rebuttal because we think people can see through that uh, uh, charade, and they can't. I guess I'll, I'll throw it back to something that you know you know Agnieszka would want me to mention this, and it comes down to the state of public education and uh, yes. into civic engagement and to understanding of political systems at an early age. You know. That that's a that's really the big picture that we need to be looking at around um, how we educate our, our young people and citizens to be engaged in the political process, to come to their own conclusions, but giving them the tools to be able to understand what happens in the media. I was really lucky in uh, when I went to uh, uh, junior high and, and my my first and last uh, year and a half of high school to have some really good uh uh, folks around who, who were able to point me in the right direction when it came to understanding media, when it came to understanding politics, when it came to, you know, finding my own place in the world when I had long hair and didn't want to be in school anymore. So when I left school with <laughs> long hair and didn't want to be there anymore, I was at least equipped to start volunteering in political campaigns. That's great. But you, you know, the, the, the reality is that the, all of us around are talking here tonight and probably most people listening to us are sort of political junkies in a way. You know, politics, we are interested in politics. We're interested in, we want to be engaged. So we're, but we're interested in politics. Most people, though, just want to go on with their lives. They they don't live and breathe it as many of us do. And and and, and the nuances we see, you know, if, they, if they're, they figure they're good citizens, they go out and vote, you know, when they're supposed to vote long, they don't bother. But for those who do. But they have other things in their lives. Not yeah. just politics. And, you know, I think that's great. And it I, is. It's how people you know, should I, live. Sure. No, I think that, like what Sylvia is saying, so if things are going really great in their life, things are pretty happy, their bills are getting paid, everybody's healthy, they're not going to question who they're voting for. They're not spending a lot of time, like, delving into the nuances of every candidate out there. It's like, oh, well, I voted for Trump last time. Things seem to be going pretty good for me this time. We'll just, you know, soldier on with that. And I don't blame them. I mean, who wants to, like, like Sylvia said, most people aren't like us. They're not giving it a lot of headspace. That's probably like But the one politician, <laughs> the one politician everyone knows is Donald Trump. That's right. You know, I, I work, I work with teenage kids. Most of them, there's the odd politically engaged kids. But most of them don't pay a lot of attention to it, like most teenagers. Uh, but the one politician they don't know is Donald Trump. And a lot of them, particularly the boys, they don't know much about him. They just think he's kind of neat, funny, and entertaining. He's like he's like a YouTube star. He's right? like a Saturday Night Live skit. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, more, more like, a YouTube, like just that kind skit. of goofy, weird person who does stuff. They, they're not thinking about how it connects. And that's because they have not no place to place that impression because they have no interest in politics. And that's always been the thing that people have misread about Trump. It's got nothing to do with politics. It's got, you know, it's got to do with marketing and, 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 and salesmanship and his media profile. And he knows that. That's why he's effective. Yeah, I think right. that's a great that's a great point to bring up and, 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 and going into it, the difference between people like us who may look at the 
want to look at the big picture and we want to know the you know the the, the how what when where why about about different positions but being able to translate you know solid policy palpable and into into the the real um for people is extremely important i think looking at you know progressive policy pieces in um you know i think the cross section of marketing and policy is is an interesting place to be personally i'm not a big fan of of people calling things green new deal when i want to hear what it really is which is jobs guarantee and yes, yes. talk about jobs guarantee that means something you know right. you know i don't think that people right now have the historical connection to the New Deal era America. But uh, if you talk about a jobs guarantee, present company uh, aside, but uh, and I, I think that's that's really it. You know, it's about breaking things down uh, and being accessible in the way that we want to push policy forward. You know, I'm a big fan of a jobs guarantee. I'm a big fan of, of massive investments into, into green energy. And I'm a, you know, a big fan into, you know, uh, uh, ref- defund and reform police services and community safety and things like that. You can't just go to the sloganeering piece of it. You have to bring that to people where they see it at the kitchen table. They read it in the newspaper and they think, huh, that's a pretty good idea because you're not going to be able to, uh, meet with every voter. You've got to be able to break everything down in a, in an easy way. Uh, and I think that's where, you know, Donald Trump, not really any policies there, uh, deregulation and we're going to own the libs and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But that's simple for people to understand where if Democrats want to, Joe Biden's best policy was a $15 minimum wage and he barely campaigned about it, barely talked about it. That would help so many people. Um, when he started talking about Scranton Joe, that was the best he was doing on the campaign trail, and it disappeared. So he also, by the way, you just but you also just articulated one of his main planks. He did talk about it all the time. He talked about a massive uh, green infrastructure investment program. That's the big infrastructure program, and he sold it as a jobs program. As, but he didn't do it in front of a crowd by doing completely unpredictable, weird things. So you know, and again, I, so I think the issue is. And we've talked about this in so many different contexts over the last two years. You know, politics is evolving. And it's, I think it's difficult for people like us to let go of it because we, we, we find a certain um, nobility in it, I think, if we invest so much time into it. It has that potential, right? You know? It's nostalgia. Nostalgia. <laughs> because it's all different now. I agree. Yeah. I'm saying, so what I'm saying, so, but when you say that the Democrats should be doing that, they actually were doing that. You just outlined Joe Biden's plan for green infrastructure but did it rise up right you had to actually listen and pay attention to it because it wasn't packaged and sold in a way and even if it had slogans it wasn't the kind of thing that would fit in a pewdiepie youtube video right you know whereas when trump started advocating for coal that got a lot of mileage in in the states that produce coal (laughs) well or and it also you know we don't know the degree but I remember groaning inwardly when uh, when Joe Biden was asked the question about fracking, right. about uh, oil, and you just knew out of that answer what clips the Republicans were going to take. And right. I'm wondering if you know Pennsylvania, for example, might have been much sure for Biden if you know those that that comment had not been made. He was being honest about it. But the, the, the other thing we, we sort of... What, what, what was that comment, uh, Sylvia? That, what did he say? They're going to phase out oil. They left the phase out, you know, uh, and, and, and he made it uh, in the debate, in the, uh, in the second debate with, uh, with Trump. And, uh, that, that Trump. and Trump knew he had him right there. Yeah, but uh, Biden didn't he answer. About he just told the truth. And, 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 and Biden had re- refined his comments, but you can't. Given given what you can lift out of a out of a statement, and and I thought my it was like Hillary. Remember Hillary in West Virginia, of all places, saying they were going to phase out coal, <laughs> and it was the same thing. These were jobs. Tremendous thousands of people are employed in Western Pennsylvania in the in the in the oil industry. Right. And, but you, and you just involved in fracking, and you just thought, "Oh my God!" By you know, Joe, why you know, you sort of shouldn't have said that right there. 
Except and, again, here's the, here's the issue. That's good policy, and he was being honest. Yes, it is. But you know, but I think also before before we get too far, I realize we're framing this discussion a lot on what do the Democrats have to do better, and how good was Donald Trump? Donald Trump's probably going to lose, right? So yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. should recognize that whatever Biden was doing might have actually worked. <laughs> okay, but just well, here's the thing, course. though, because we're looking at the numbers here and. There's just as much of a chance that Trump might win because it's going to come down to it looks like it's going to come down to the six seats that Nevada holds. And if and right now, 70 percent of the polls are in and it's like tied. Yeah, they aren't counting it. They aren't going to do anything till tomorrow in Nevada. Those, those uh, folks are want, largely I mean, still Pennsylvania, and they're you know we don't know. If, I, yeah. Right now, the, the prognications are right now, in fact, that 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 Biden will take it. We could be yeah, wrong. The reason, the reason the data people are so bullish right now is because a lot of those votes are in Clark County, where, where Las Vegas is. Sean touched on it before. So many states in the United States and in Canada. Look at a map of Canada. Yeah. You know, the rural areas go one way and the cities go a different way. That's Canadian politics, too. And in, in, in Nevada, you've got a slice on the, on the west side where Reno is, and you've got the southeast corner where Las Vegas is that are blue. The rest is red. So there is a feeling that Biden's in pretty good shape in Nevada. It's why people think he's going to prevail in Arizona, and it's why he's rapidly coming back in, in Pennsylvania. Why people, again, it's, I mean, it looks like he's still almost 200,000 votes down in, in Pennsylvania, but it's rising up quickly because they're counting Philadelphia. So yeah. you're right, Jen. I mean, I, I'm not going to say for sure he's going to win, but I, it's not a 50 50 odd. It's actually very long odds now that Trump's going to pull this off, yeah. which is why. And, 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 and you're right. Days before, and I'm saying he might win. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like, the fact that he is even this close to winning his second presidency should tell us that the joke could very well be on us. When yeah, all is fascism done. is very attractive to people. But I, I, Tim, I, li- I liked your 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 comments regarding rural, urban, etc. Uh, David and I moved up to Norwood in 1967, and there was election there shortly afterwards. And we were new in town, and Norwood in those days, as was most of Peterborough County, was pretty conservative. And there were, I think, four votes for the NDP in town that year, village that year, and I think they're still trying to find out who, who voted that way. <laughs> <laughs> we were, we were oh, come on we now. Oh, it was true. <laughs> so who voted? I know them. Sylvia, you've touched on something totally irrelevant to today's topic, but it's a big thing with me, is Peterborough should have its own riding. Because the differences between the needs of the city compared to the rural area around it, yeah. and you look yeah. at other places like Kingston and places like that of relative size, Peterborough should have oh, its own riding. Sean, Sean is on this bus here. And with Lakefield and Curve Lake, by the way, but it should be one center. Yeah. Uh, you know, Curve Lake is is the most reliable the two polls in Curve Lake are the most reliable NDP polls in Peterborough County, including the city. It's never not voted NDP um, since we were enfranchised and allowed to vote when we actually elected the first NDP MP in 1960 in Walter Pittman. Mm. And that I by-election was the... So hard out at Curve Lake, both federally and provincially when I was running. <laughs> I really did. And now you're telling me, you know, I might might as well have forgotten the whole thing anyway. You know, and, and, you know, I think one of the, I won't get into strategy, but, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. Peterborough itself, I think in the next five to 10 years will be its own riding. And I see a redrawing of both Northumberland, Peterborough South, uh, Peterborough Kawartha to be redrawn in a similar way that Guelph interacts with Wellington Halton Hills, uh, where Peterborough is, is the donut hole and the county, including Norwood and Havelock is, is a different riding. Like, uh, uh, they've got it set up in, uh, Ontario, but we just need to hit that that city population of like 116,000 or so. So we're, we're winding down, we're winding down here. That's uh, I'd run again. To, to what will, what are we likely to see yeah, between now, now and mid December, um, now and Christmas? A lot, of, a lot of lawsuits. A lot of lawsuits. Yeah. Yeah. They're already lining up. 
uh, you know, and and, and so uh, there'll be a lot of lawsuits. Uh, <laughs> Send money and lawyers. Yeah, yeah. I just hope that the stress of all of this doesn't give poor Joe a heart attack, and all of this will have been for naught. Joe is looks. Who is who is jogging up to the podiums? Joe is yep. looking fresh today. He was like ready yeah. to go. Be, none of us would be. You know, hey, folks, Bernie Sanders had a heart attack in the middle of the primaries, and he still made it to convention. <laughs> hey, that's, almost, that's almost as hardcore as breaking your hip during a campaign and still knocking on doors. <laughs> right, right, right. Look at Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt was shot <laughs> during a speech, and he continued on. And, and TR's speeches were never short. He continued yep. on for another half hour, but he was shot, literally. Wow. I did not know that. Hey, so listen, I don't wish any ill on, uh, on Joe Biden, obviously, or anyone else. I thought that would be bad karma or anything. But uh, I, I, I do have to say, because it's quite possible that they're going to win, is that uh, his running mate, the vice president, and I went to high school together. So uh, not that I knew her. That <laughs> never matter. You've you got her island. yearbook picture. You, you I have her yearbook picture, and there's actually there's a picture of the graduating class of her year, and my brother's there. <laughs> Did you have you noticed though, Tim, uh, uh, that she's never in in all the stuff that's that is written about Harris and that, and she gives her background. She never mentions Montreal. No, and you know why? Because because as a person of color and a woman, you know you're you're always going against the currents of being othered, right? Uh, by the opposition, so I think that's why she's never ever mentioned. Plus, it's only a footnote in her life; it doesn't, it didn't really define her. But she doesn't want that sort of foreign connection, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, um, no, I, it didn't I, mean that much. Or, it didn't mean much to any of us, but it just kind of nice in retrospect, looking yeah. through your book and saying, "Oh my God, here she is." I never yeah. met her. <laughs> I was hoping she'd say, "I remember my friend Tim from my high school days." No. no, there, there's, there are. Decades of difference between grade 11 and grade oh, nine. <laughs> and on that note, so uh, Jenny, Sean, Tim, Sylvia, thank you so much for uh, joining on this panel. Uh, you've been listening to Pints and Politics, a weekly discussion program, but all things political till next week, November 12th. This is Bill Templeman. 